this portion is Vayegash, Vayegash. And we're going to be in Barashit Genesis, the 45th chapter. We did 44 uh, last class. And the verse that I want to focus on, and I want us to, we're going to take a totally different, uh, what do you call it, call it um, route to our our commentary today. Verse 24 of chapter 45 says, And he sent his brothers off, and they went. He said to them, Do not quarrel on the way. They went up from Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to uh, uh, to Yaakov, their father. And they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive. He rules over the land of Egypt, but the, but the words left, uh, left his heart cold because he did not believe them. They told him all the words that Joseph had spoken with them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to drive him, the Holy Spirit, or the Ruach, settled on Yaakov, his father. And Israel said, My joy is enormous. My son Joseph still exists. I will go see him before I die. This week's portion comes uh, after the sort of showdown in the OK Corral with Joseph and his brothers. Uh, We dealt with, in the last portion, the um, prophetic intent or the prophetic um, ideas about the end of days, about uh, Mashiach ben Yosef, about how the uh, people of God will find healing, there will be uh, restoration between divided people. Uh, we we spoke from the week before about Isaiah 56, about the Bnei Noach or the Ger Tzadik or the Ger Toshav, those who leave their idolatry and begin to walk with Hashem. And it says that those people within the nations who do that, who are the Bnei Noach or Ger Tzadik or Ger Toshav, they will have a place with Judah and Joseph. They will have a place with Israel. And the whole story of Judah and his brothers and Joseph, their restoration in Egypt, is somewhat of a prophetic template for the future days. We're living in the, the, the beginning throes of the Mashiach. We're living in the beginning days. How else can we answer... The enormous, the enormous interest worldwide of the study of Torah. How do we, how do we answer the fact that so many of our rabbis, who are hit, getting hits, fifty, sixty thousand hits a month, on their website, and the largest part of those people that are are hitting on the website are not even Jewish? What is this? What's going on? There's an in gathering taking place. There is getting ready to be a great, um, a great meeting. And this great meeting is all because of what the prophet said, that in the end of days there will be a famine, but not of food, but a famine of the knowledge of God, or the knowledge of the Word of God. Now, 
we're living in a day right now. Is there any lack of, of having Scripture available to anyone today? No. no. Can anyone just about read just about any uh, Jewish commentary today? Absolutely. So what is the problem? It's not the lack of the Word of God. It's the lack of the knowledge of God's Word. We're living in a famine. In very much the same way, we live in a society that talks about attempting to abolish um, uh, poverty and hunger in the world. That's sort of a famous thing. Everyone loves to do what they can to abolish hunger. And we live in a country, the United States of America, in which it seems that our poorest people that are on the most assistance that you would think would have to deal with hunger are extremely obese, but they're not healthy. Now, is it possible to starve to death and be obese, if you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> we know there is. You can eat so much of these empty calories, it makes you obese, and you can die from not, the, not having the proper nutrition. What world religion has offered mankind is empty calories of practice, of piety, of all types of religious structure without the nutrition and the nurturing of Hashem's Word. We are living in the day of slim pickings when it comes to the knowledge of the Word of God. But out of nowhere comes Hashem's great master plan being fulfilled in which He brings a famine into the land. He brings famine. And what does famine cause? It causes righteous people and people of any common sense to say, we need to fix this problem. There needs to be, uh, there has to be an answer to this problem. We look at ourselves as a society and as a world, as a culture, where we have great advances in technology, the ability to send people to the moon, the ability to communicate across world uh, hemispheres and continents. By just a click of a button, you can have video conferencing with people all over the world. We have all of this advanced technology, yet there is something lacking deep within the soul of humanity. And so whether they are from Asia or China or Brazil or Central America or Africa or Houston, Texas or Chicago or New York, there are people that are awakening their soul. Their soul desires truth. And it is amazing when you find out that in China you can go to a Torah class for non-Jewish Chinese citizens and study the Torah. And there are people there teaching the Torah. There is something happening. Joseph, Mashiach ben Yosef, has already, even though we may not see him physically, already we are beginning to have people show up from the nations to the storehouse. The storehouse to get grain to get sustenance. And they're willing to trade whatever it takes to get that. How many people in this room right now would pay exorbitant amounts of money for books and the ability to study when just a few years ago you wouldn't have thought of it? That'd be like, that's crazy. Why would I want to pay you know, uh, $200 for a, a, a book to help me study? Now you would think nothing about dropping 50, 60, 80, $100 on a book to study or a series of teachings so that it could help you to understand the Hebrew. 
But the reason why I want to talk about today's class is I want you to look at this at two levels. The first level is the practical level from the 21st century aspect of interpersonal relationships and family life. That's the first one. The second one is the what I call the um, the backstory. The backstory is this template that is going to show us how this divided people, the ten lost tribes, the Bnei Noach or the Gertoshav and Judah will begin to come together. And that is the amazing thing. When you see this, what you're seeing is Judah and the brothers come to Joseph. Did they have any clue that Joseph was their brother? How did they know Joseph was their brother? Because he said, I need Joseph. I need Yosef. How is my Abba? Is he still alive? Right? But they still were shocked until he showed them that he was a circumcised son of his father and his grandfather. How is Judah and the rest of Judaism going to see the deep love of the nations? The love they have for Torah is that they are going to see them because they have converted and their circumcision of their heart has taken place. They'll see something truly changed. And it's not just a verbal rhetoric about Zionism and Israel. It's about the love for Hashem, the, the, the pushing away of idolatry, and the taking upon themselves the commandments of Hashem. Joseph, after this time, sends his brothers away with carts loaded with food, with all kinds of niceties for the trip, maybe a satellite TV to hook on the back of the wagon for, for his father to watch on the way to Egypt. I don't know. There's a lot of nice things. And Yaakov didn't believe that, that this was possible until he saw all the gifts that Joseph had sent. He had joy. But the key word here, Joseph says, and do not quarrel on the way. Do not quarrel on the way. Now, there are two major sections of, or two major uh, opinions that come out of the work of the sages. One says that, that Joseph is, is encouraging them not to think about who was responsible for what. Don't spend your time going back to Egypt going, well, if you would have, or if you, you should have, or if I could have. He says, don't quarrel on your way. Don't. Look, just go on your way. There are others who say that what Joseph is saying, because the word is a little, not, it's nondescript. You know, it's, it could be quarrel or it could be um, troubled. Don't be troubled. It's not really sure what, what it means. The other idea would be, be careful when you go home. There are bandits on the road, but don't be troubled. Don't be in fear. Both of them, at some level, is correct. What is the antithesis of imuna or faith? What is the opposite of faith? Fear. Fear. For one who is righteous and drawn himself to Torah and pulled down the yoke of heaven and placed it upon their shoulder, for that person to have fear is a sin. It is a sin to have fear. It is a, I'm going to say it again. It is a sin to have fear. 
fear about tomorrow, fear about what I'm going to eat, fear about how I'm going to survive, fear about how my family's going to respond, fear about my friends, fear of, you know, you just go through the whole thing. Why is fear the opposite of faith? Because to have fear means that you do not trust Hashem. Mm -hmm. You just don't trust Him. So what is Yosef saying? When you go back, go with Imuna. Go back with faith. Go back with faith. Now whether it's about not quarreling, how does quarrel, what, what's the root of quarreling amongst people that are family members and friends? The root of quarreling is fear. Right? Because I'm afraid that your actions are going to affect me or I am fearful that our, our actions have dis, made such a bad disrepair of our environment that it can never be fixed. So we see Joseph encourage him not to have fear. This is more than just not quarreling. It's also about when you're on your way, know that you are fulfilling the purpose of Hashem in your life. That you thought you threw me in the well. You thought you were creating a problem, but this was all a part of Hashem's master plan. Now, the hardest thing for us in our life to comprehend is how can the creator of the universe, with all of his master plans, use my mistakes, my failings, and turn them into positive things. The way he does that is when an individual is focused solely on the, the um, providence of his or her God, then God will always make sure that even your worst mistake, even your worst sin, will be used to turn around for positive effect in your life. We look at Joseph, and I'm so glad they put the story. Actually, it is wonderful that they put the good, bad, and the ugly in the Scripture, right? We've identified some mistakes that Yaakov made, right? Think about this. How many people in this room, if you've had a number of children, and they're all at home, can you imagine taking your youngest son, and you have 12 sons, and you go buy him a $1,200 Armani suit and a $600 pair of shoes, and put it on him, and let him parade himself around, and then say, go check on your brothers, and let me know how they're doing. Right? I mean... You're, you're, you are absolutely engaging in a problem right off the bat. I mean, we all know that you can't show favoritism. But it was like Yaakov couldn't help himself. He loved Rachel. He loved her so much. And when he finally was able to get this child, it's, his love for his son was so overwhelming that he just he couldn't help himself. If we look at Yaakov sort of like Abba in heaven. Think about it for a second. The creator of the universe. He has all of his children. He has Judah. He has Benjamin. He has all the tribes, the 12 tribes. But there's one special one that comes at the end by the name of Yosef. Why is Joseph so special in the eyes of his father? Why would this story be laid out in such a way that would seem to be a bit odd and kind of up on its head. 
we have to remember that the the end of age is going to be the period in which restoration takes place in the house of Israel. We don't even know where all the ten tribes are at, do we? We have no idea. But Hashem knows. Why is this age so important? Is because He's going to finally see His family together. He's going to finally see His family together. He's going to finally see Joseph the alienate the son that he thought was dead. If you were to ask any rabbi a hundred years ago, where are the ten tribes, what would they say? Don't know. They've assimilated. They're dead. I, mean, I don't know. They don't exist. Right? What is going to be the great joy of our creator of the universe? When the sons of Joseph, Manasseh and Ephraim, when the nations begin to pull their heart toward heaven and they begin to take upon themselves the yoke of heaven and take upon themselves the God of their father and the God of their grandfather and the God of their great-grandfather, when that begins to take place, we are going to see the restoration of the house of Israel because that is what Hashem is desiring. We all have said, how could we ever participate and bring about the redemption? There are some say, you can't do it, you have, no, you have no control of it. Hashem's going to do what He's going to do in His time. So we have to just spend the rest of our life hoping and praying that we don't fall in the hole before it comes to the end, right? <laughs> or, there's another side that says, He's waiting on us. He's waiting on us. Joseph, ja Yaakov, sends his sons to Egypt for what reason? Get food. Get food. Mm -hmm. Little did they know that this was not about food. It's about restoration. Joseph hears the dream of his, of a Pharaoh, his boss, and he tells them what the meaning of the dream was. Did Joseph have any idea that this was about the restoration of his brothers? No. Nah. I had no idea. You see, where we might think negatively that we look around us and we know that there's a hunger of the knowledge of the Word of God in the world, the hunger is supposed to be there. Mm -hmm. The famine is supposed to be there. We are actually living. This is a good thing. You think, how in the, how, you, you must be an eternal optimist. Well, <laughs> Joseph is an eternal optimist for sure. So when we see that there is a... Um, there is a hunger in the world. There is uh, that hunger draws people to the answer to that hunger. And we recognize that we're living in that age right now. Can you imagine what the days, months, and years ahead of us are going to be like? It's going to be amazing. Amazing things are going to happen. Now let's talk about the restoration of family. Can we do that? How to resolve family conflict. We know that even in our best, even with our best intentions, we can totally make a mess of our family, can't we? Mm -hmm. Those of you who have children that are grown and gone, do you ever think back like, Dang, I wish I wouldn't have done that, <laughs> right? I wish I wouldn't have said that. It would have been so much easier if I did and didn't, wouldn't have done that. But you're going to make some mistakes. The key is, is not 
quarreling over your decisions or what you did. But having the intuitive capacity to respond at the moment that you need to respond to correct those past things. I tell individuals all the time that, and I've got a dear friend of mine who has wonderful sons, they're amazing, but he says, I was a horrible father. I was a horrible father. I never spent time with them. Uh, they grew up pretty much disliking me. They could have did with me or without me. Whether I stayed at home, left, it didn't matter to me. He said, now that we're older, we have a great relationship, but it's not as good as it could have been if I'd have been a better father. And so my advice to him was, why even think about what you didn't do? Focus on what you can do to preserve that and to make it even more enriching. Now, for a man who has said that he wasn't a good father, I would say the opposite because all of his sons live on the same property. They've all built their homes on the same property. Now, I don't know about you, but if you don't have a good relationship with your parents, do you go build a house next no. door to them? No. Does your wife want to live next door to their in-laws or your husband? Not generally, right? So obviously he did something right. Why? Because he had the intuitiveness to, intuitiveness to realize at some point I've got to make this change. I can't expect my sons to change. I have to change. So Yaakov finds out that this is his brother's. Did Yaakov have plenty of good... Not Yaakov, Joseph. Joseph. Joseph sees his brothers. Do you think he had good reason to be bitter? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> Somebody posted the other day on Facebook, 14 effective ways to be a miserable person. <laughs> there are some people who are just miserable. Why do you think they're miserable? Bitterness. Some people almost thrive on their misery. And then the amazing thing is misery likes. Misery. <laughs> misery loves having people around them and miserable. So what is, what is the key here? What, do I'm talk, what am I saying when I talk about the intuitiveness of a situation? Regardless of how miserable your life has been, it is obvious, medically proven. I mean, you can go through psyche, psychological benefits, the greatest of, 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 of medicine has proven that a person with an optimistic attitude and approach to life, ability, one's ability to adapt to situations and constantly look for a new way of approaching things is a person that's going to have good health. Conversely, a person who is bitter, a person who is constantly miserable about everything, constantly complaining about everything. You never meet the right measure. You never quite, you never, you, you can't meet my needs. Is it really possible for someone else to meet somebody else's need? I mean, really. Because you're not, you, you, I mean, sure, you can do things nice to people and make them happy. But in reality, if, if an individual inside is not at peace with themselves, nobody can make them happy. Mm -hmm. Nobody can bring them joy. Joy has to come from the inside. Joseph was one of these people who had an amazing ability amongst the most difficult of circumstances 
to remain optimistic. I mean, think about it. The guy is thrown in a well, sold into slavery. Uh, he always seemed to bubble to the top, and the best always happened to him. Do you think it was because he was a bitter, angry Jewish man? Yes, sir. He still messes with them. Of course, he's testing them, but I'm going to get to it. That's a good point. Very good point. Very good point. Yeah, very good point. So, Joseph, he, is, uh, he always tends to bounce back because people like being around Joseph. How many likes? Don't raise your hand. How many likes being around a negative, miserable, bitter person? Not me. They're annoying. Right? Try to stay away from them. <laughs> yeah, you would raise your hand, right? It's a, it's a joy to be able to pick your friends that have joy. It's a joy to be able to have friends that are positive. It says affirming in positive words. It does not speak Lashon Hara. Uh, a person, Lashon Hara, a person who um, is optimistic in the worst of circumstances, always looking for a, a way to, uh, what do you call it, turn things around and make it positive. Joseph was one of these guys. Sure, he was a skilled worker. Sure, he was a hard worker. Sure, he was someone who, who made sure he did his job right. But the reason why Joseph always ended up on the top end of a situation is because people liked being around him. So, the first thing. If you want to be a person who has success in your relationships, make yourself likable by not being so bitter and miserable. Sure, we can have miserable situations, but having an optimistic outlook. Now, his brothers come. He could have easily looked at him and go, oh, okay, it's payback time. Now, most of us realize that the thing that stands between restoration and a relationship is an attitude that of, vin of, of vindication or vengeance, right? That always stands in the way. And, and even though you might want to have a relationship restored, there are individuals, because deep down inside they want vindication, they want justice. Think about this. If you are always looking for justice in a situation, you might have the tendency to abort a great restoration of a relationship because you're expecting justice. What is the source of one constantly wanting justice around them? It is called selfishness. I want you to pay me back. I want you to fix what you have done to me. That can be selfish. Now, I'm not talking about justice for other people. Okay, there's a big difference. We are to be people that are looking for to bring justice when it comes to the way other people are dealt with. Okay, so there's a difference. But I'm talking about within a person who constantly is wanting, demanding that things get made right. And constantly wanting this. Joseph could have easily done that. He didn't do it. He tests them, though. So for a relationship that is alienated and been broken because of hurt, if you have been hurt by someone, words have been spoken that have damaged you, maybe even caused you hardship, financial hardship. In Joseph's case, he was thrown in prison after a while over, over evil speech from Potiphar's wife. If you want to 
the first step is for you to test relationships. What do I mean by testing relationships? How many have tried to restore a relationship and it didn't work? We've all tried that, right? Do you know that there are some relationships that can't be restored? Because it takes two to tango, tango right? I guess you could tango by yourself, but it would look kind of boring. <coughs> I'm not really sure that that's possible. But it takes two to tango. So you have to find yourself in a situation to know whether that relationship can be restored. How do you know a relationship can be restored? Is you've got to know whether that person's heart is in the right place. So what does Joseph do? First, he tests them when they first come by throwing them in prison. Right? What is the first argument that they have in prison? Right? You know? It's all because of you guys that we're in here. They're like, what do you mean, us? What did we do? We just came here and he accused us of, of being spies. If you wouldn't have thrown him in a well, if you didn't want to kill him, if you wouldn't have sold him into slavery, you see, because our, Joseph, our brother Joseph is dead or, you know, that we did what we did, this is Hashem's retribution toward us. Immediately, Joseph's ears are turned and goes, well, at least they recognize that they were part of the problem and maybe they can be part of the solution. So that's the first test. You want to make sure that the person has any inclination toward goodness and righteousness. If a person has no intention to ever have goodness and righteousness in them, then you will waste your time attempting to restore that relationship. Because what will end up happening as soon as you open yourself up in the relationship and say, I need Yosef, I'm your brother, I'm your sister, we should be restored, they will trample on you and destroy you again. They'll do whatever they can to destroy you. So you cannot open yourself up to be hurt. So he tests them. The next test is what? He sends them off by putting uh, goblets in the sacks. Yeah, in the sacks. So the next level. You might want to take notes if you need to restore a relationship. If you've tested it and you realize you've heard from a friend, you've heard from someone that says, yeah, I think they said, you know, they recognize that they're part of the, you know, they're part of the reason why that this whole thing went south. Then the next thing is to test them with uh, nicety. A short, little, small, kind word, a card, a gift, and see if they return that gift or return a gift. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. He puts that in there. What was his test? Oh, sure, my brothers recognize that they own part of the responsibility of me being here. But deep down inside, are they willing to trade me again for 20 pieces of silver? Are they willing to find this goblet, which they know belonged to me because they saw it on my table, are they willing to take it into Israel, back into Canaan, and say, whew, we got a bonus. It's like the person going to Walmart and the cashier gives you 20 extra dollars than they're supposed to. Do you take it back or you just thank Hashem that he gave you more money than you <laughs> So the test, the second test, would be to um, ingratiate yourself to them some way and see if it's returned. If it's not returned, then you might want to consider holding off on trying to restore that relationship. Wait, give it time. Maybe it's not time. 
But instead, what do they do? They turn right back, come back and go, hey, you left this in here. And of course, you know, when Joseph sent his guards to supposedly stop, do a, uh, what do you call it, a, a rolling sure. felony stop, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, uh, they are all shocked by this. And he also wants to see their reaction to, to this thing. The next thing is when they return. The, the third test to restoration or restoring a relationship, um, quid pro quo, it's Latin for meaning what? What does it mean? Do you all know? Say again? Sort of an exchange. You give and take, right? There's, there's a little exchange that takes place. <coughs> if Joseph's brothers wouldn't have returned, do you think that relationship would have ever been restored? No. So even after testing it with a nicety, you send a card, you make a nice comment to someone, you say, you know, you ingratiate yourself, do something kind to them, and, they, and, and you see that it's coming close. Find out if they, they truly return back to the relationship. If you see them return, then you realize that you might be coming close to being able to open this up. When Joseph's brothers come back, and also there are a number of other tests, but what I'm saying is always test these relationships before you reveal uh, the need for restoration. Okay. By the time it comes down to his brothers being in the home right at this, this uh, pasha, the Yagash, Joseph is in there having a dinner with his brothers. They don't know he's their brother. And finally he hears Judah say, take me instead of Benjamin. When you're seeing the individual that the relationship needs to be restored, willing to sacrifice their position and ego in life for another, then you know that they're probably ready for the restoration to take place. So, when it's time to restore the relationship, the key is this. If you're writing notes, put, never say coulda, woulda, shoulda. Leave it out of the conversation. Leave it out of the conversation. Don't even talk about it. Don't even bring it up. And if the other party starts going, coulda, woulda, shoulda, even if they're talking about themselves, what are you supposed to do? Nope. Don't do it. The reason why it's a shim isn't everything. Everything passes through the hands of our Creator. Everything. And so forget about coulda, woulda, shoulda. It just happened. This is just the way it is. So what do we do? We embrace each other. We weep on each other's shoulder. And then you send them off with pleasantry and niceties and goodness. Because you know ultimately what is going to be the result of a restored relationship. What was the result of Joseph and Judah and Benjamin and... Reuben and God, what was the result of their restoration? Their Abba came down. You follow me? Their Abba came down. Family reunion. If you want to see Hashem's handiwork in your life, restore relationship. It's hard. It's hard. If you want to see the Abba drawn down, if you want to see the divine essence drawn down, restore your relationship with people that you love dearly. 
And as I said, there are some people that you'll never be able to restore a relationship with. It just won't work. They won't allow that to happen. But at the same time, if you want to draw down divine presence in your life, start testing the relationships to find out how to bring restoration. We all have a choice. We all have a choice. Being uh, most of my life, I never could pick my friends. Most of my life. Never did pick my friends. So what does it mean when you can't pick your friends? That means that you can have a tough life. Right? You have to like everybody. Do you know I realized that that's not really a practical reality? That you should pick your friends. You should pick people that you trust to be around you. You should pick people that, that brings blessing into your life why would I ever want to choose a relationship with someone that destroys my soul? Why do I ever want to choose a relationship with someone that is constantly dragging me down and saying things that are discouraging and discomforting? So, last but not least, if you're in a situation where a relationship you know can never be restored, or at this moment can't be restored, Always maintain optimism and an attitude that one day it could possibly be restored, but don't feel guilty about cutting it off. Don't feel bad about saying, i got to move on. And it is very clear that Joseph had decided when he was a slave in Egypt that he was going to move on with his life and let Hashem do the rest. Why was that? Because he had a vision or a dream of divine guidance and purpose in his life. He didn't understand it. And you would say, well, Rod, I, I really don't have a divine dream. I've never dreamed that the person that I need a restored relationship would bow down to me. We'd all like to have that kind of a dream, right? <laughs> right? But in reality, you do have a vision or a dream of leaving, living a life of shalom, of peace in your life, right? We all have that deep desire to have peace with others around us and ourselves. So if you have that dream, even though the circumstance may not be that peaceful, at least maintain your focus on that purpose, on that vision. When Joseph was at, was at Potiphar's house and things were going well, do you think he forgot his dream? No, he didn't forget his dream. He just worked even harder. When he was thrown in jail, do you think he forgot his dream? No, but if anything, his dream probably kept him going. So wherever, whatever your circumstance may be, whether it is prosperity or lean times, difficult times, alienation in your life, always maintain this attitude that I am going to seek the purpose and the providence of Hashem in everything I do. And I recognize that everything passes through His hands. So even this miserable moment that I'm in, God must know what He's doing. And the ultimate act of faith is to go on your way not quarreling, not having fear, having joy, simka. How do we bring joy to our Father? Is when we restore our relationship. How will we bring joy to Abba in the end of age? Is when all of the nations begin to be stirred by the nutrition and nurturing of the Torah and the Word of God. And when Judah begins to realize these are not people that are alien to me 
are, they are not idolaters, but they are truly part of who we are. They're part of the bigger picture of restoration. And hopefully and prayerfully in our age, we will see Mashiach come and set up in Zion. Amen? Amen. Amen. So let's, that concludes the lesson. We have Q&A. So everyone say Shalom. Shalom. shalom.